Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. From the hinterlands, concealed by fog, broadcasting live from 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle and streaming worldwide at nightdrift.com. This is an interview series about the unknown and our relationship to it. We are presented by the audio documentary You've Met, a podcast available wherever you listen to them. Here we commune and wander through the big wonder with guests who are thinkers, explorers, experiencers of the phenomena that is on the edge of it all at the intersection of society and strange. This is Night Drift, and I'm Jim Perry. Tonight, guest Dr. Scott Taylor talks about his own personal shared near-death experience, as well as the lessons learned from millions of near-death experiencers. These lessons, for some, help change their perspective and allow them to realize more fulfilled lives. That's tonight. And like many, you can join the conversation through email. Even after the fact, you can reach through time, jim at euphemet.com, and use hashtag nightdrift on Twitter. You can also now send me a voice message. Go to sayhi.chat slash euphemet or find the link in the show notes. I'm Jim Perry. This is Nightdrift. Next, my conversation with Dr. Scott Taylor. relationship to it. This is Night Drift with Jim Perry. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. Dr. Scott Taylor is the president of the Expanded Awareness Institute, who helps people interested in near-death and shared death experiences explore what that experience means to them and to our culture as a whole. Dr. Scott Taylor's gift is the ability to make the exploration of the non-physical universe accessible to the curious. Scott is also the author and voice of six best-selling albums of guided meditations on near-death experiences. He is a spiritual teacher, speaker, and researcher on near-death experiences. Dr. Taylor, thanks so much for joining Night Drift tonight. Hey, Jim. I have been looking forward to this, so thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. You know, Listen, let's just jump deep right away. What do you believe happens it. when we die? Oh, what happens when we die? Okay. Um, our physical body just, just gives up. And in it is a non-physical body that contains all of our consciousness. And so it lifts up out of our physical body. And when that happens, uh, very often there's an escort who's there to take you to the light. Mm. And that escort um, can take you directly down a tunnel um, into the light at the end of that tunnel. And there, usually there is a reception all of the dead relatives and friends that you've known over your life, there's a party waiting for you. Oh, wow. And they, they welcome you into the non-physical universe, and there is much joy and celebration. 
and they are um, really curious to find out what's been happening on the non-physical side. And of course, you want to know what's been going on in in their realm. And so you catch up, and it's a it's a delightful, wonderful time that you can spend then being with them and acclimating to this new place that you're in or returning to the non-physical universe. And then after that, what seems to happen is that there is some being of light that will show up. And this being of light, their job is to love you through an experience, the life review. And you get a chance to then be with yourself as you live through that life. Um, it happens in three perspectives. We can do that a little bit later. Um, you get to be yourself. You get to be um, the other person in the scene, and you get to have the omniscient point of view, God's perspective, if you want. And then, you know, once that is done, um, there's a healing and regeneration center. So you further acclimate again, and then you return to that that vibration that is the life between lives. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the sequence, the common elements that people go through when, when they leave their physical body for the last time. And what's so interesting about hearing you describe that process, that sequence of events, is that you've essentially gathered that information, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've gathered that information by helping people through having experienced that other side or close to it where they have been able to come back and and share this sequence of events. And, and it's been consistent throughout, geez, throughout history almost, right? Yeah. The, um, we have a very large database now of people who've had near death experiences. Um, it's about 30,000 strong that you can just go online and read at various websites. I've interviewed hundreds of people. I've read over 3,000 cases myself that I did in preparation for uh, doing my doctoral work and doing um, just my own work. You know, how do, what is it that happens when we, when we make our transition? One of the really interesting things is, is that near-death experiences, they are custom designed for every person. And I had a really interesting conversation with uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson not too long ago, and his contention, and I've, I believe this too, is that when we leave our physical bodies, all of us have the same thing happen to us, but in order for us to, to interpret what it is that's going on, the only metaphors we can use are those that are stored in our memory, and so, you know, I grew up in in southern Minnesota. Well, that's going to be different than, you know, the memories you have, Jim, or somebody who lives in India or China or South America someplace, Brazil. You know, there are lots of different ways to interpret the same kind of thing. Um, a really fun example that happened not too long ago was um, uh, this you know, when you leave your physical body, sometimes people will go through a tunnel. And for me, that tunnel is kind of a cobblestone street with, you know, giant archways of, of old American elm trees. That's the tunnel for me. Um, but this other guy 
we're talking to him and he um, was in a bad accident. He was a uh, long haul truck driver. And, you know, as he died, as his physical body died and he left and he left that body, he found himself going through a tunnel and he described it as going through a tailpipe. Well, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, of course you would, because, you know, that's your world. And so I have to I have to smile when um, the very inventiveness that people have when they describe what's happening to them. Um, I just I just love people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating and uh, emotional, of course. And you touched on a little bit there about uh, some of your own experience. Do you want to share a little bit about the, the personal nature of this pursuit for you? Um, so I had what's known as a shared death experience, not a near death experience. The difference in in a broad brush is that in a near death experience, the physical body sustains such trauma that it dies. And, you know, then the non-physical body leaves and you come and, you know, resuscitation actions happen and, and it, it eventually comes back to the physical body. Hmm. For me, um, it wasn't like that. It was a shared death experience, which means I didn't have any physical trauma at all. I was, um, I was in love with a woman. Her name was Mary Frances, and she and her son Nolan had been out sailing on a beautiful summer day in southern Minnesota. And on the way home, Mary Fran um, and Nolan gotten into this horrific car crash, mm-hmm. and it killed Mary Fran outright. And Nolan had a mortal head wound. And, you know, lucky for us, in southern Minnesota, if somebody's hurt badly, you know, they're instantly taken to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. So they had the best possible health care that was out there, but it wasn't enough. Nolan, who just turned seven, he had this, um, he had a mortal head wound. And it took him six days to make his transi- transition, which meant that um Mary Fran's really large family got to have the chance to be there and close. Yeah, and yeah. when the final um, time came, we were all gathered um, bedside in the hospital room. And there was probably 40 or 50 of us. And, and because I was one of the last people to enter the room, I was sitting on the windowsill next to, um, next to Willie, Mary Fran's youngest brother. So, we were invited into the room to watch the, to be with him, to hold vigil. And, you know, eventually the heart monitor just slowed and slowed and slowed until that, you know, that really ominous tone comes on. And when that happened, what I experienced, what I witnessed, what I felt was Mary Fran came across the veil. And she went and scooped Nolan up out of his physical body. And they had this exquisite reunion, as you can only imagine between mother and child. And remembering Mary Fran died six days before. So they had this amazing 
heartfelt reunion. And somehow I participated in that. I got to feel what they were feeling. And then to my surprise, the two of them turned to me, came over, embraced me, and then the three of us left and went to the light. Mm. And when I was in the light, it was this space of ecstasy. It was joy. It was um, requited longing. It was unconditional love. It, it just There just aren't really good words for it other than um, we had a chance um, to affirm our affection for each other. We had a chance to be with each other. And we had a chance to say our goodbyes. And when it felt complete, um, Mary Fran and Nolan turned and went further into the light. And I came back into my physical body, which was sitting on the windowsill next to Willie. So that's part A of the story. You got any questions about that? Well, I mean, I just want to add, I'm so sorry for your loss. And thank you for sharing that. Um, incredibly emotional and uh, obviously incredibly transformational for you. I guess one of my questions for you is that since this is, I would assume, such a profound influence in your work and your mm-hmm. and your study of this, and it's so personal. Does it does it ever get tired? Does it ever get tiring for you to to relive those emotions to better communicate what your work is? Mm. That's a really good question, Jim. Thanks. Um, I have to dip down into that, and there's no there's no way to tell the story without um, touching an emotional vein. And it's complicated because at the moment of my greatest grief, you know, having sitting there in that hospital room and having Mary Fran pass away six days before and now Nolan passing away, you know, right in front of my eyes, um, you know, it was, yeah, just rip your heart out. But at the very same time, I am in this ecstatic state, this joyous state, this I'm in union with the love of the universe. So intertwined in there, you know, there's this grief and there is this tremendous joy. And I can't really separate the two. So, you know, sometimes when I tell the story and and my voice quavers, it's it's for loss and sometimes when it quavers it's because i'm stepping into that remarkable love that is all of us that is that we all have as a birthright it's where we came from and it's where we'll return to yeah oh man beautiful and uh, uh intense at the same time what are some of the th- ways that you think that you immediately changed after that? Or did it take some time for you to, you know, kind of find what those changes were for you? Well, I have to tell you that um, immediately um, I didn't know what happened to me. Um, 
I mean, I grew up in a mainline Presbyterian church in a small town in Southern Minnesota. And so the idea that you could, you could witness, you know, somebody, somebody coming back across the veil and that there would be um, a chance to be with them in the light. And the other part of the story is that I had two separate consciousnesses. I was with them in the light and I was fully present in my body in the hospital room. So um, now I have a word for it. It's called bilocation. But now, I mean, then I couldn't begin to understand what had had happened to me. So um, what I did know was that I wanted to reconnect with Mary Fran and Nolan. And if I did it once, I knew that I could do it again. I just didn't know how. And it's one of the things that's really consistent with near-death experiencers is that they get this tremendous curiosity. And for me, you know, as I'm trying to figure this thing out, what I, the conclusion I came to was, um, I can't do it by just thinking about it. So maybe there's some extra juju that I need. And so I wound up traveling the world. I went to all these ancient sacred sites thinking there might be a little spark of something there that would propel me into the afterlife. You know, so I went to Stonehenge and the pyramids and the Oracle of Delphi and the Sphinx and Machu Picchu and and that didn't work. I went to more cathedrals than, you know, you can shake a stick at. None of which worked, but I had great vacations. Um <laughs> You know, and then I started, well, okay, maybe it needs to be more active. So I started doing meditation. I started with uh, TM, Transcendental Meditation, and I studied with shamans in North and South America, and I studied in the with the Emoto religion in Japan, and that got me sort of kind of there, but it really didn't, it, it didn't, know. And so then I went, okay, so maybe I have to do something head with the heart. So I, I enrolled in seminary. So I'm now the Reverend Dr. Scott. And, but that didn't work either. And it wasn't until I went to the Monroe Institute and discovered how to meditate using binaural beat technology hmm. that, it, um, that it worked. Wow. That, I was, that, that I was able to take and raise my vibration up enough that I could have contact with Mary Fran and Nolan and we could reopen our relationship and we could have conversations. And, you know, as part of that, I, you know, could talk to all kinds of other dead people, grandparents, friends, mentors, you know, it's, you know, once the doors open, you walk through it and it's, it's really quite extraordinary. You know, along your trek while you were traveling to these other locations, well, mm-hmm. you were practice, you, you know, you were taking up these different practices, you know, all in pursuit to reconnect, really, right? To, to, to find out how to get that feeling again, to, to find out how you can go back there. Yep. What was it like with your compatriots, your, your coworkers, your family, your friends during that point in time? Were there people that were skeptical of this? Were there, did you not care? What was that experience like? <laughs> Oh, you're perceptive. Um, I didn't tell anybody for 15 years. Wow. I, I, so we know from 
the research into near-death experience, there's a thing called safety of disclosure. And people who feel safe tell their story to somebody that they feel will respect that. And I, I really didn't know who to, who to tell. I mean, it was so divorced from my experience that um, it just took, it just took me a while. So what wound up happening is I were, was traveling the world as, you know, on these great vacations subtext, I was trying to do this meditation stuff. And the work with Monroe started relatively soon within a couple of years of um, the accident. Um, but that's a meditation practice and you can kind of, you know, just use words because there are all kinds of people who meditate and it has all kinds of benefits you can talk about. You don't have to talk about the afterlife. Um, and then when I finished my research at the University of St. Thomas and I was is writing my dissertation, I, I, I had to come out and, and I did. And I was, um, remarkably surprised. My, my family was really supportive. Uh, my dad even, he read my dissertation and he goes, well, yeah, that's, that's what I believe. This is, this is good stuff. You know, <laughs> told me earlier. <laughs> oh my God. You know, okay. Great. Um, I didn't, anyway, I, I guess I was chicken, you know, but we're over that now. And I wound up being a trainer for the Monroe Institute for 35 years. And then, uh, the last couple of years was their executive director. Um, it's, it's a, it's a remarkable system, uh, that takes you very deep and, allows you to match your vibration to the vibration of the afterlife. So, you know, quickly, what it means is when you leave your physical body for the last time, there's a, there's a vibration for that. And as you go through the tunnel, there's another vibration for that. And when you visit your, um, you know, the reunion, the dead relatives and friends, you know, there's another vibration for that. You go through the life review. There's another one. That life between lives. There's another one. Each one of these is successively higher vibration. And so that whole sequence of events is designed to, to get us up into that, um, that place where we can exist comfortably. And, you know, it's kind of a, um, a ramped re-entry process it's it's extraordinarily designed um and i think we're quite lucky to have discovered it yeah and it seems like a process in which uh for millennia people have been trying to figure out a way to hike up that uh, vibrational uh stairwell and mm -hmm. uh this could particularly be an interesting way to do that yeah and it's easy um, all you have to do is wear headphones and relax into the sound. And then once you've done it a couple of times, you toss the headphones because it's like anything else that you learn, you know, playing golf or hitting a basketball or, or baseball or, you know, throwing a basketball through a hoop. You know, once you've learned it, you can go back there again. All you have to really do is remember what it felt like. and Wow. Ooh, you can be back there in an instant which makes um, 
communication with uh, non-physical entities um, very present. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, Nolan is always hanging around. I can always feel him. And he has a very um, unique energy signature. And, you know, so I can just, you know, think of that signature and poof. And I, you know, can have a conversation with him. It's, it's, it's lovely. Well, that's amazing. And I can't wait to ask you more about that experience, but also how you're helping people have those experiences themselves. And you're really a guide through this process. We're going to take a quick break here on Night Drift. We're with Dr. Scott Taylor talking about near-death experiences, shared death experiences, and everything in between here at Night Drift. social media at Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. Dr. Scott Taylor is with us. This is Night Drift. Why near-death experience? Near-death experiencers called NDEers have provided a rich map of non-physical universe. The millions who have had made this journey describe it with awe and wonder. NDEers are profoundly changed by their experience. And you can be too thanks to the transformative power of near-death meditations. This, as advertised on Dr. Taylor's site. Dr. Taylor, welcome back to Night Drift. Nice to be here, Jim. Well, I can't wait to touch on a little bit 
the transformative power of near-death meditations, and we're getting there. We're getting there in the story, but let's circle back real quick for the listeners. Listen, most of the people that are listening to the show are really indoctrinated, and they know the the you know the famous institutions, and they know the famous players. But for those who don't, can you describe a little bit uh, about the significance of the Monroe Institute? Sure. Um, back in the 1950s. Bob Monroe started having spontaneous out-of-body experiences. And, you know, he grew up in Virginia. He's a Methodist. This talk about really outside of his uh, his experience. So there wasn't any words for it, but he was a really curious guy. And he wanted to know if this was good for anything. And it turns out it was, you know, primarily it's about. You get to have the experience that you are more than your physical body. That, that knowledge changes everything. The idea that when your physical body dies, you live on. And, and there's so many, and he wrote a book about it. It's called Journeys Out of the Body. It was an instant bestseller and millions of people wanted to learn what he knew. And so he developed an institute called the Monroe Institute. He developed uh, binaural beat technology, uh, which he dubbed Hemisync, uh, to help people enter into and hold expanded states of awareness. Um, And in that way, they have enough time to practice the skills of navigating around the non-physical universe, and they have the chance to, to learn what those um, what those tools can do. And so you get a chance to be in it and you get to learn how to maneuver around it. And that's what was important to me was that I needed a way to enter into the non-physical universe and I needed time to develop my, my wings so that I could really maneuver in that space because people who have near-death experiences they are often thrust into a a world, the non-physical universe that they aren't prepared for. It operates under different rules than the physical universe. And so they don't don't know what to do. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to use their, their creativity. And so what winds up happening is that near death experiences happen to them as opposed to it being a co-creative process Hmm. where you and the universe get to figure out how things can work so that you can get the answers that you want, or you can have the connections that you want. Um, So it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really terrific way to safely explore. And let's face it, nobody wants to have a near death experience because that means Oh my God! Right? You know, your body is so so traumatized that it dies, and it'll take yeah. years for it to recover again. It's a tough, tough way to go. But doing it through meditation, it's soft, it's gentle, it's under control. Um, when when we do it, um, you know, it's it not only is it guided, but you have teachers around that can answer questions and and help you figure out. Oh, you're having trouble with this. Well try that or think about it this way and and it it makes progress a lot a lot quicker 
you know, so the space that we go to during, mm -hmm. d you know, during these experiences, the, the, you know, no matter what sort of like vibrational stage we're talking about, are yep. these similar to the same states that people find themselves uh, while, you know, in dream space, you know, Ooh. while in shamanic states? Um, is there a commonality between this space and some of these other spaces that are reported across the, you know, sort of the, the fringe? <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. I'm, uh, once I started doing the work with Monroe, I had continued to do the shamanistic work also, and one enhanced the other, you know, because shamans mm -hmm. have the upper, middle, and lower worlds. And, you know, the kind of work that we do is really consistent with upper world work in the, in the nomenclature of, of shamanism. Sure. Uh, um, you know, the meditation practices we have, um, when I was at Monroe, we'd have people from all traditions and all kinds of Buddhist monks. That's the one that sticks in my head because they would come and, and practice our meditation tradition. So it added to their toolbox of, of, you know, meditation. Um, and, uh, and I have to hand it to Bob. He really did a wonderful thing, which was to say, I am not a guru. Don't make me a guru. No, the, you have the power, the intelligence, and therefore you go out and explore. Just come back and tell us what you find. And when you read, Bob wrote three books and in them, um, so I really appreciate about his, his intellectual integrity because in the second book, he would go, remember what I told you in the first book? Mm, not so much. <laughs> I, there's some things that I have a better understanding of that now. And then in the third book, he did the same thing. He'd go, remember what I told you in the second book? Mm, not so much. <laughs> and it was great because you'd come along and you'd, you'd read it and you'd go, what? And then later, when you read the second book, you went, okay, I see how that was a preliminary to where he wound up, you know, eventually understanding this. This was an exploration of the non-physical universe that was done by a man who was a, um, you know, he was a VP at, at the Mutual Broadcasting Corporation. I mean, this he's about as far from esoteric as you're going to get. <laughs> and he's trying to put Western world words, Western concepts to things that hadn't really ever been described before. So he's having to make up words. He's having to invent processes and, you know, and they have all over time, over time, you know, Monroe Institute today, 50 years later is a considerably different organization in their approach than it was at the beginning. And they've invented more technology binaural beat plus um, to further enhance the places that we can go. So, you know, that's, I think that's the key is not get stuck in the founder syndrome, mm. but to be able to say, um, you know, he gave us a great gift. Here's a roadmap of the non-physical universe. Here's techniques for how to explore it, take it and make it better. Oh, fascinating. And, yeah, and we did. Yeah. 
And that's the way to continue uh, progressing, continue moving along and continue uh, making reiterations on those books, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you, you spoke a little bit, you brought up creativity mm -hmm. with those uh, th that enter that space and may not know what to do and how to handle themselves. And, and now this experience is happening to them, but not a co-creative experience. You yeah. know, I've been on this trip for a while now that I am there is an inclination that I'm starting to believe that a, a lot of the paranormal is co-creative is, is yep. less about these things just occurring unless we let them now on, on, in this plane, in this realm that we're talking about, how does creativity, uh, become a factor? How is it used? What does it look like there? Because I'll tell you what, like, that's the thing that I always had, uh, fears about, with uh, sort of organized religion is mm -hmm. the idea that I, I felt like I'd, I'd be over there and I was just sitting around and I couldn't be creative anymore. <laughs> oh, oh no, oh no. <laughs> so so listen, you know, in terms of what you found, how does creativity play a role in this? Um, okay, so in meditation, there will be times when you are startled with something. And something will come up, or maybe you're afraid of it, or and so let's let's think of something really okay. Harry Potter first film. You may remember there was a, a spot where Hermione and Ron and Harry walk into this room, and sitting on a trapdoor is a three-headed gnarly dog that's drooling and really angry, right? And it scares them and they back out of the room and, but it's Hermione who said, Whoa, hang on. You know, there's, I've heard about this thing. I read it in a book and blah, blah, blah. And if we play music, you know, that this angry dog will, will go to rest. Well, that actually happens really frequently in meditation or people who've had what's known as less than positive near-death experiences. There are some who believe, and, I, and I'm one of them, that some near-death experiences are difficult because they're in that, um, you're familiar with the hero's journey, sure. um, yeah. Campbell, Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell. Yep. At, you know, at one part in the journey, you have to overcome an obstacle. and in our meditation practice, that might be it. You know, you're confronted with something that's ugly or drooling or it startles you. And the trick is to be able to step back and go, hi there, Mr. Ugly Drooling Dog. Clearly you were here to get my attention. How does that work? What are you trying to tell me? And instantly, that ugly drooling dog will change and it will turn into another type of creature that will explain to you that they've been trying to get a hold of your, your attention. And here's, <laughs> and that drooling dog was a two by four alongside the head to say, Jim, pay attention. We've been trying to tell you this for years. Right. So <laughs> that's the um, creativity comes in this dance that you do. Um, uh, I'm thinking of people who do soul retrieval. And so, so for those of you who don't know, that's sometimes a soul when they leave their physical body 
the manner of their leaving um, has them confused for some reason or other. Um, maybe they want to. They maybe they want to stay and be close to their kids. Maybe it was on the battlefield and they don't really know they're dead. Or there's all kinds of reasons that people be, can be confused. And so the creativity comes in when you meet a soul like that is to get them to um, enter into a conversation. It's like, you know, where do you go? What do you want to do? Do you want to see your parents? Do you... And anyway, so with that comes um, a, a sense of, each soul will respond differently to somebody coming up to them and trying to engage in conversation. So creativity, I can remember I encountered one where this guy was all huddled up um, underneath a bar table. He'd been in a bar fight and lost. And in his, his mind, he was still underneath the table. But of course, his physical body was long dead. And, and it was... Um, me bringing to his attention that everything was silent and everything was dark. And so that means the bar was closed and he could still be, you know, he could come out from underneath the table because there's nobody else around. And he had to check in, you know, he said, well, yes, it is quiet. Yes, it is dark. Huh? Okay. Anyway. So mm. that's where it comes in. It's, it's how, um, how does your imagination help you in working with uh, the souls on the other side? It's not any different than working with souls on this side of the universe. You know, it's like, what are you interested in, Jim? Let's talk about that as opposed right. to, you know, all right, we're going to go play croquet. Right, right. <laughs> you, you know, in those situations, you know, being that you have a physical body, Yet you're entering and interacting with entities, with souls on, on that other side. Mm -hmm. Is there, there must be surprise from their side, right? Like, what do you, what do you, oh, you're here, you have a physical body. Sure. Like, what do you, <laughs> is that ever a case? Why, well, sure. Because they'll meet you and they'll say, hmm, there's something interesting about you. And that's usually when you go full disclosure and say, well, I'm here, but I have a physical body back in the physical world and we're still connected. So I have a different energy signature than I would if I was just here full time. And they go, oh, that's what it is. And so they treat you differently. And hmm. um, yeah. And that is, um, that's one of the things that um, when you do this work a while, really begin to appreciate people's energy signatures. And because sometimes, you know, you can't see them, you know, they're just balls of light or they're, they're, they're a presence that maybe is behind you and you just know, Oh, well, that's my grandma, Jenny. And she has a definitely different signature than her husband, my grandpa, Paul. Mm. And, and after a while you begin to, to trust that, that, your impression of who that is that's coming up behind you, it, it, you didn't make it up. You know, that really is Nolan. Oh, that's Mary Fran coming in and giving me a nudge that I need to, you know, buy flowers for my wife. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> but she's very helpful that way. I was going to say. <laughs> 
So the the uh, what is it like the percentage of individuals that you help that have experienced NDEs before and are looking are on that same journey that that you were on? Do you have those type of clients that come to you, those type of people that request your help? Or is it mostly people that are interested in this as a way to better connect and, without having experienced this uh, personally before? Yeah, we're in rough figures, we're like half and half. Oh, wow. So, so if I have um, a workshop, there'll be um, people who've had near-death experiences or a near-death-like experience or... Yeah. They're not really sure what kind of experience it was, but it was certainly not normal. Mm. And, you know, they're trying to sort all this out. And they know when they came back that they had enhanced capabilities. But how do you, how, what do you do with that? Yeah. So there's all of that. And then there's people who love people who are like that. You know, it's like my husband yeah. had this experience and I need to understand what he went through. And which is, I mean, something like 82% of all couples divorce after an NDE. Wow. One member changes so drastically. It's like, you're not even the same person I remember. I like oh the my old God. One I like the old one better. That's um, crazy. So you're like a divorce counselor at the same time then at that point. <laughs> oh, time. by the time they get to me, they're, that's long gone. Yeah, long gone. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, at least you have that going on. Um, <laughs> and then there's the, the last big group is are people who have read, you know, they've read about NDEs, they've read about shared death experiences. They've gone on YouTube and they've had, you know, listen to these amazing stories. And, and finally, you know, they'll say to themselves, I'm tired of reading. I want me some of that. <laughs> and, and, and you know, that, that's when I point to me and go, Come on to the workshop. Yeah. I want the CDs, you know, start doing it. Start experiencing what expanded states of awareness are like. And, and then, you know, then once they get started, you know, then it's all over because, you know, their curiosity has been ignited and there's nothing more dangerous than that. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Scott, where can everyone find your work? Where they can where where can they find more information about how to start being guided into this stuff? Uh, my website is neardeathmeditations.com. And there on that website um, are my CDs, uh, my retreats, the workshops. Retreats are five and a half days long, the workshops are two days long. And also there is the link to my podcast, which is called The Afterlife Files. And actually, what I think is really fun is just go on YouTube and type in The Afterlife Files and you'll and you'll get there right away. And um, The Afterlife Files have a ton of um, really interesting interviews by some of the best um, researchers in the field. So that's fun. And then there's there's some folks there that had to share their experiences and and then philosophers who are uh, trying to tease out what the nature is of the of the universe and what does it mean <laughs> to be a non-physical being or a multidimensional being. You know, so we we get to talk about really cool stuff. So near death meditations.com and the afterlife files. Scott, it was great talking with you on here. I can't, uh, hey, listen, I, 
I need to have you back. I've got way more questions for you. <laughs> so That's great, Jim. I would love to come back. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up.